We thank you for bringing us together again on a Thursday night, and we ask that our time would be spent in, in making application from learning how to live the blessed Word of God. Give us grace and wisdom to strive together that we may serve Thee in these last days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And one other announcement. Um, uh, Brother Benjamin Park was actually at the meeting and was able to spend a little bit of time with him, and he has agreed to preach our missions conference this year, the first week in November. That will be November 2nd through the 5th. And so kind of excited about that, looking forward to having Brother Park with us. And uh, the Lord has opened an unusual door for him. He is in uh, the country of South Korea, uh, but he is starting a Chinese language ministry there. And uh, there seem, uh, um, I guess there is a Chinatown in this uh, city in Korea that he is starting a church and uh, they have, um, it's a transient ministry as the Chinese people, they come in, they have to spend the night in uh, uh, Korea, and then they take goods back to China. And so it's constantly in there, and so they kind of house these people. They, the night they stay over is Saturday night and Sunday during the day. So that works out pretty good for them to hold the service there. And so just uh, uh, pray for them, but uh, praise the Lord was able to uh, spend a little time and uh, get our, our missions conference on the calendar. Lots and lots of things happening. And so let's uh, uh, go ahead and just open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. And as we're going through this thing on truth or imitation, we, we have to spend uh, a lesson on the church. And of course, there's uh, a lot of teaching about the church here at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. And uh, no one would go around uh, uh, saying, uh, we're, we're not the true church, but believe us anyway. And so everybody thinks and believes. Uh, if they didn't believe it was a real church, then why would they go? And so what we want to do is we want to spend a little bit of time. We're not going to be in as in-depth as we have been in the past, of course, uh, because we want to go through this. But there's an awful lot of imitation church out there. Uh, in fact, I would challenge you, there's a whole lot more imitation church than there is true church. Uh, there's a lot more varieties of fake churches, we might say, or imitator churches because Jesus only started one church. Uh, I had a group of people come visit us uh, a couple weeks ago. I knocked on the door and, and I said, uh, basically, don't call me. Uh, we'll call you. Uh, we, we don't need you to help us get the gospel out. We're, we're doing that on our own. We've been doing it before we met you. And we don't, I, I said, I have no idea who you are, what your organization is. And, and so I looked them up a little bit and uh, the Baptists and the Presbyterians and uh, everybody, they come from Korea, interestingly enough, says they're heretics. And uh, the uh, young lady that called me on the phone uh, said, um, uh, well, that's what they say about us. And I said, well, I said... 
what you believe that once you're saved, you never have to ask forgiveness for your sin anymore. And said, oh, we believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all of our sins. I said, well, what, that's what we believe. But they believe that you never confess your sin after you're saved because that is making yourself a sinner. And no, it's being honest. Amen. And uh, ignoring great portions of the Bible. And, and uh, yet they're going to call us up and try to help us. And part of it is, they, uh, one of the statements I said, we don't believe in mixing churches. You don't. I said, no. She said, she said, but Jesus only started one church. I said, that's exactly correct, and it's not yours. Uh, she believes that all of the churches are the true church. And, of course, we, uh, I don't know how else to say it. Things that are different are not the same. That, that, that is... I almost feel ashamed telling you that because everyone here understands that if it's different, it's not. But they don't. And part of it is because of this accepting an imitation church. A church that is not real. Everything that God has done, the devil has imitated. And just as any good salesman will do things, I mean... You can't just buy a cell phone today. You have to buy one with a color, memory, uh, this version software, that camera, all these different options. Uh, we have more options on cell phones than you do on cars, it seems. And, and all the bells and whistles, well, we don't have options when it comes to the church. We go to Matthew 16 and we believe this is where Jesus uh, founded the church where he explained it. And one of the reasons we do is because by the time we get to chapter 18, Jesus is giving instruction to the church. Now, you don't give instruction to something that doesn't exist. And so, in Matthew chapter 16, and we come down here and in uh, verse 15, He, Jesus, saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Here is the central question. If you want to understand the church, you've got to understand who Jesus is. And uh, Simon Peter, verse 16, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, or son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. Now, you need to get a hold of this as we go through. Peter was not the recipient of special individual revelation here. This is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, Peter, you got close enough to me that the Father was able to instruct you as to who I am. It's just that simple. Peter was the voice. Peter had been close enough to Jesus to understand who Jesus is. And you cannot accept the person, the deity of Jesus Christ without the work of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. 
And so Peter did this, and then we get down here to verse 18, and this is one of the most misinterpreted verses in the Bible. It says, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And of course, the simplest way to understand that verse, just look at me as I, I quote the verse, Behold, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. That's what Jesus was saying. And uh, uh, we've been through this in discipleship and, and uh, many different times. The keys of the kingdom simply were the preaching of the gospel. Peter preached the first gospel message on the day of Pentecost to the Jewish people. He was the first preacher of the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, if you're not Jew, you're Gentile. If you're not Gentile, you're Jew. So the, Peter preached the first gospel message. He opened the door. Uh, that's what keys are for. And so we, we look here and the church is established by Jesus. Now this is why the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church have gotten together and they say Peter is the first pope. And he went to Rome. And that's where the church was ordained. Now, uh, let me ask you a question. Is there one verse in your Bible that gives us any inkling that Peter ever went to Rome? Answer is no. There is not. In fact, if we follow Peter's writing, he talks about Babylon. uh, The opposite direction of Rome. Peter said that his ministry was to the circumcision or to the Jewish people, whereas Paul's ministry was to the Gentile world. And Rome was a Gentile city. And people tried to say, well, who started the church in Rome? The only biblical link we have where there were Roman Christians, there were people who dwelled in Rome that were Jewish that were there on the day of Pentecost and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did they do when they went back home? Just like they did in Antioch. They established a church. And as the gospel went to the Gentiles, then the nature of that church obviously changed. And so we have Jesus is the rock. Uh, of this passage, not to Peter, never once will you ever find in the Bible God giving his authority, his possession, his deity to man. Uh, I often try to help people see this idea of saints. Uh, I remember talking to one man, I said, okay, how many Catholics pray to Mary? in a a given 24-hour period. Now, we're not talking about only only Catholics. I I believe the number is about 800 million Catholic people worldwide. Of that number, how many pray to Mary in a given 24-hour period? Well, let's let's just make the numbers fairly simple. Let's just say that uh, only 2.4 million do that you got 24 hours in a day. 
So you have 2.4 million people divided by 24. And you get 100,000 people an hour. How would you pray? How would you handle 100,000 prayers an hour? You would either have to become God or you'd be the most miserable person in the world because you couldn't possibly keep up with 100,000 prayers in an hour. You just couldn't do it. Let alone every day, 365 days a year, for all of these centuries that people have prayed to Mary. Could I challenge you that Mary is a human being, not a deity, and that she does not take our prayers before God because she's not capable. No human being is. Jesus is the rock. If you've been around here, it's all about Jesus. That's the center theme to the church, is knowing who Jesus is. That's the problem with all of these false churches that are out there, is they demean the person of Jesus. I've read in doctrinal books, uh, we'll pick on the Catholics a little more, uh, that uh, the priest would often go through a Teaching like this, who was more severe with you as a child growing up, your father or your mother? Well, of course, your father. So, therefore, we take our prayers to his mother so that she will appeal to him. How many of you have heard that said to you when you were, okay, we got some hands. I'm not making this up. That is what they teach. How could God love less than a human being and still be God? You see, this is the problem. Is we demean Jesus Christ. Jesus is the rock. Jesus said he was. The passages are... Are, are printed there in in your outline, Luke chapter 20. Jesus gave the parable of the vineyard, and he said that the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. And whosoever shall stumble at that stone is going to fall, but on whomsoever that stone shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And this is what Jesus was telling the Pharisees. He's saying, you kick against me and you refuse to believe that I am who I am. You're going to be broken as if you had kicked a stone. But I, as God's judge, am going to judge you. And when I do, there's not going to be anything of you left. They understood what he was saying. But they had already made a choice that Jesus could not be the stone that the builders rejected. They had already chosen to not believe in him. You read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Paul says that Jesus is the foundation, that he is the chief cornerstone. Read Peter. If anyone would know who Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 16, it would have been Peter, correct? Read 1 Peter chapter 2. He talks about coming unto the stone. If he were the stone, he'd say, come to me. But he didn't say that. He says, we come to the living stone, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And, and he even quotes the same passage. So we have a church that is established by Jesus Christ himself. Well, how do we prove that? Do we prove that based upon a genealogy? The Catholic Church uses a genealogy of popes. Uh, I know some Baptist people who use a genealogy of baptisms. Uh, I've met some others who use a genealogy of ordinations. But I read in my Bible, avoid genealogies which do, vain genealogies which do gender strife. You see, if I'm going to prove to you that I teach the truth that Jesus taught, what do I do? I quote the Bible, don't I? But you see, our doctrinal position of our church is not unique. It is not something that I dreamed up as I I wrote our Constitution and bylaws. Uh, I was told by a lawyer friend that it needs to be individual. We should write our own, not just copy someone else's. And, And so we did. But there is no difference between our doctrinal statement in Cleveland Baptist Church, my sending church, By the way, I was reading a book written by a preacher named Peter Reidman who lived in the 1550s in modern-day Czechoslovakia. And Peter Reidman's doctrinal statement was in total agreement with our doctrinal statement. And I can go into the pages of history and find a group of people called the Waldensians who lived in the uh, southern... France, northern Italy, the valleys of Piedmont, it is called. And their original doctrinal statements, the ones that are old, are identical to ours. People and groups change. But if you go back into antiquity, that was a Baptist group. And no one is absolutely 100% Perfect, that's not what we're saying here. But what we are saying is, every major point, the authority of Scripture, baptism for believers, you've got to be saved first. The, right, the Bible way of salvation, the Bible way of baptism, the Bible way of church organization, by the way, the Bible way of believing the Bible, amen. Uh, these are what we call our distinctives and we can trace our history based on our practice and what we believe. And it gives us a link to this book called the Bible. And, and this, I, again, I don't want to be tedious here, but if Peter Reidman in the 1550s believed this book in His language, which would have, um, he probably would have had one of the old Latin Bibles. And we believe this same book in 2017, taking for the difference of time and culture and technology, things that determine, shouldn't there be some similar characteristics in what we believe? 
if we say we believe the same book. Well, that would give us evidence that our faith is identical. You see, we live in a time when people no longer abide by the rules. It's cafeteria theology. I'll take a little bit of this, and I'll take a little bit of this. Well, you don't understand. When you take a little bit of Calvinism, that is going to force you in certain directions. Unless you just say, "Ah, I don't care. I'm just going to do what I want to do because I want to do it. Well, then we can't help you there because you really don't believe anything except what you choose to at that moment in time. Are we still together on this? Because if you really believe something, you have to follow it. And so, uh, as we look at this church here, it was established by Jesus Christ. The defining characteristics of that church, its doctrinal statement is established in the Scripture And we go back to the Scripture. I don't go to a genealogy to prove that I'm correct. But Cleveland Baptist believes the same way. That's my sending church. I didn't come from nowhere. I found a church that believed right. And I submitted to the authority of that church. And I was sent out from that church. That's what Brother Michael Newberger did. When he was sent out from here, and Brother Hiram Davis, and some of you remember, we, uh, Brother Hiram will tell the story. He said, I thought some of the things Pastor told me to do, he said, I just didn't think they were right. But I just started doing them anyway. And that's when God started blessing. Why? Not because I'm the smartest preacher in the world, you know that. But because God blesses when we do things His way. When we submit to His authority. I don't need a genealogy when I match up with the Scripture. But, I'm not here by myself. In fact, just at a fellowship meeting, I believe there's probably, what, about 80 different pastors there at least, maybe 100. And uh, we're there because we believe the same things. That's why we have fellowship, because our doctrine is the same. And, and those pastors did not come from the same place that I did. There, there, there is uh, uh, an infinite number of connections that are there. And yet, we still believe the same basic set of doctrines that the Waldensians believed in 1100. That many of these other groups believed hundreds of years before all the way back to the day of the apostles, because it still agrees with the Bible. Now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. The church has to be established by Jesus. It should have some characteristics that can be found in the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 4, and verse... Oh, let's just start with verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye 
are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. We get down to verse 16. From whom, talking about Christ, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This is one of the problems that we have in the church is we have Christians that are built by self-help books in the internet and by all of these things. And you're supposed to be built by Jesus Christ and His Word. It is the gift of Christ in you that changes you and makes you what you ought to be to serve in your local church. You see, Jesus said, I will build my church. If your Christianity is not a direct result of your relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to challenge you. You are being satisfied with an imitation type Christianity and it's going to be reflected when you try to serve Christ in the church. You see this. It's so permeated, the levels go down so deep. The church is empowered by the Spirit, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall what? Have wonderful meetings. Have exciting fellowships. Now, I, I, I love a fellowship meeting, and it's a great privilege to preach and Boy, something happens when they call you up and say, will you preach? And go, wow, that's, that's so terrifying. I am so glad when I finally say, sit down, and then I can enjoy the rest of the meeting, which was one preacher for us uh, after that. But uh, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, that's not what Acts 1.8 says. It says, and ye shall be what? Witnesses unto me. How much Christianity is involved in witnessing about Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That the work of the church is this. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Do you see the correlation between Acts 1.8 and Matthew chapter 28 verses 18? Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always. He says, All power is given unto me both in heaven and earth. Because all power is given to Jesus, go ye therefore and teach. How many of you remember the first time somebody gave you the gospel message? Did you get saved the first time you heard the gospel message? Probably not. Probably needed to hear it more than once. The Holy Spirit had to do a work in your life. But after you got saved, then what? Baptizing them. That's the work of the church. And we won't go through that again, but no one else has the right to baptize you except the Bible-believing church. Amen? Can we say that? Um, And so, the work of the local church is to teach right where they are and send people out into all the world. And when you're saved, that's not the end, that's the beginning. 
Every false religion dangles heaven as the golden carrot at the end of your life. Only the Bible says, we're not dangling anything. You've got to have the issue of heaven settled before you can be baptized. You've got to be fit for eternity before you can serve in the local church. Uh, that's, that is what it is all about. And the church is the body of Christ. I mean, we say that. Every one of us has bodies in this room. Individual bodies. And you know something we all have? It's called personal space. How many of you like people getting in your personal space? I mean, I don't even like getting people getting in my van space. Uh, that is the space around the van when you're driving to keep things safe. Don't, don't get into that buffer zone. That's dangerous. And, and I want to be close to other human beings, but there is a point where that closeness needs to be uh, separation, where we need to maintain a certain point of separation to keep things proper and biblical. Amen? Hello? Now, Jesus says we are members one of another and that His church is the body. And people have, and we'll get to this in a minute, when we talk about false churches, they've invented this invisible universal church made up of all believers. The Bible is very clear. Just like your physical body, if you have an infection, I I have an uncle that is now in eternity. Because he refused to deal with an infection in his leg. And he should have learned because he had one in his big toe on his other leg. And it got chopped off at the hip because he didn't do it right. And then a couple years later, the whole scenario started over again. And he did the same thing, but he didn't get to the hospital in time. The Bible tells us that we have a responsibility as members one of another to care for one another, to help one another. And if there is a problem, if there is false teaching, if there's a sinful attitude, it has to be dealt with. Now, if this universal invisible thing is true, how in the world could I be your pastor? Because I would have to be worried about all the other garbage. I don't even listen to Christian radio. And the reason I don't is because I don't want to know about other people's problems. And other people's false doctrine. And other people's crazy teachings about the Bible. What I want to do is be focused on what is taught and what we do here at Open Door Bible Baptist Church because we are the body of Christ for Astoria. And we have a responsibility right here. And this universal invisible thing is just a figment of someone's imagination to pretend things that just simply do not exist. 
the church, the local church, each church is a complete body in Christ. Now, one day we will be assembled in heaven. But you know what? Jesus is going to take care of all the problems before we get there. Amen? If you try to take care of those same problems right now, you're going to spend the rest of your life in frustration and never get anything done and never be able to serve the Lord the way he wants you to because it's all supposed to be through your local church. I, I like my body just the way it is. I don't want anybody's extra parts. Do you? That, that wouldn't be very positive. And what we need is that same understanding when we come to the local church and its work. If you read the letters of Jesus to his churches, repeatedly he says, Thou hast kept my word and not denied my name. That's what he told the Philadelphia church, wasn't it? He told the Ephesians church, he said, I have some things against you because you're doing the right things, but you're not doing them for the right reason. You've left your first love. You're, you're, you're just have an empty tradition, and that's not the characteristics that I put in my body. And he told the Laodicean church, you don't even care. You, in fact, you don't even understand how wrong you are. You're neither cold nor hot. You're not disobedient like some of the other churches. You're just not nothing. And, and he said, it makes me sick. And so we understand that the church looks only to the Bible. And the church has an historical and historically defined and traceable position. This is what we call Baptist distinctives. We can honestly call them biblical distinctives. Because they come straight from the Bible. That is the true church. But there are so many imitation churches out there. In fact, where if you really want to know where things get confusing... It's when we have people in a true church behaving as if they were in an imitation church. That's when things really go nuts. You see, we understand that the true church was founded by Jesus Christ. Therefore, if the church looks to any person or group of persons other than Jesus Christ as its founder... It can't be a true church, can it? You see, the Seventh-day Adventist church could not exist without the teachings and the writings of a woman named Ellen G. White. If you take her writings and teachings away, they have no foundation for the unique doctrinal positions that the Seventh-day Adventist church holds. It was interesting years ago, uh, we had one of the inner city missions class here and we took them on a tour of the Brooklyn facilities there at the uh, Watchtower Bible and Track Society. You were with us on that tour. And, and uh, uh, one of the things that they said was that, well, in our modern day and time, he says, we, we hold to about 10% of what Judge Russell actually taught. Well, when we got back, we discussed that. 
see, we hold to about 100% of what Jesus actually taught. Because we don't have the right to change it. Amen? And yet, people today change doctrines. I got a letter from a missions pastor. They had supported us. and It says, we've got two books now. The Purpose Driven Life and our King James Bible. In that order. Everything changed in that church. I was told later on they lost 500 members, 500 people that were coming because the church across town got a better rock band than they had. And so they went over to the other one. You see, if that's why people come is for your music, somebody gets better music, they're going to go. The true church is not about pleasing you or how you fit in. If you read Ephesians chapter 4, the work of the Holy Spirit is to round off your corners and to make you fit in the ministry of the church. That doesn't happen by accident. And that doesn't happen without effort. And it doesn't happen without some abrasion on occasions. And you have to be patient enough, and I have to be patient enough as your pastor to let God do that work of molding us and making us so that we can be convinced that what the Bible says is what we're living in our church. Otherwise, we have no claim to being a true church. Amen? And yet we have churches that are built. Some people use the church. I think a blaring example of this is Mother Teresa. She used the church as a backdrop for her ministry to homeless and sick people in India. And everybody thought she was so good and that she did so many good things and yet When it came time for her to die, her last words that were repeated publicly were, I haven't done enough good works. And we would say, yes, you agree totally with the Bible because no amount of good works will take away your sin. You see, the church is not the context for you being able to minister to other people the way you want to. You see, the church is a body. And what makes a body work is when the brain sends the signals to the rest of your body and your body obeys the signals that the brain sends out. And who is the head of the church? Jesus is. Amen? And we are members, one of another, members of Jesus. And we don't follow like mind-numbed robots, but God has ordained leadership in His church. That's the pastor. And you know what? Sometimes that means we just got to sit still and wait. Because pastor's got to catch up. Because he's human. 
But if we try to go out and do our own things our own way and minister, all we do is play imitation church in the real church and cause problems. The church is not a place for you to look good. It's a place for Jesus to look good. It's not a place for you to shine in you, what you believe your gifts are. Because the true gifts of the Holy Spirit are those that make you invisible in the body. A part of what is going on. How many of you can remember your teenage years when you got one of those eruptions right on the end of your nose called a pimple? Great big red thing and I mean all the grossity that is there and everybody stares as you walk in. See, that's not the way the body is supposed to work. There's something wrong. Unless you're Jimmy Durante, people shouldn't pay attention to your nose when you walk in a room. Amen? We're supposed to work together. But in the imitation church, you have these great teachers. And everybody else bows down before them. No, in the real church, you have a pastor. And the only reason he's a better teacher is because he's probably been at it longer than most of the people in the church. And God gives abilities to those that serve in different places. I think it was the um, filthy television show Cheers. The theme song was, I want a place where people know my name. I want to challenge you, that's the paradigm of the imitation church, the purpose-driven church that is out there today. It's a place where you fit in. It's a place where you feel like you belong. Let me tell you, unless the Holy Spirit does a tremendous amount of work in your heart and soul, you can't belong to a body that belongs to Jesus Christ. Could we say amen to that? Did anybody say amen? We, we have to have that work be done to us. It's not a natural process. That's why we laugh, really, at this idea of a church that has no doctrine. That's like a car with no engine or no transmission or combination thereof. You can call it a car, but if it doesn't have an engine or a transmission, if it doesn't drive, is it a car or is it a junker or part of a car? The one that drives me to the point of distraction is the no sin church. We don't want to make you feel guilty. If you're doing something wrong, It's the Holy Spirit of God that makes you feel guilty. So you'll come to Jesus Christ and get it right. Amen. And so what you're admitting is if you don't want people to feel guilty, you don't want the Holy Spirit working in that church. How many of you remember when you were in school and you had a mean teacher that actually made you learn something? Aren't you glad about that kind of teacher? 
You know what? God, in his true church, wants you to take individual responsibility to fulfill your part as a member of his body. And when that really happens, no one else is paying attention but God. We become less and less visible as individuals. See, that's what happens when our church gives to missions, isn't it? No one person. I am so glad. I've been in churches where it was one or two people gave the whole missions budget. And that was really scary stuff because if the preacher made that guy mad, I mean, everything they were doing was in jeopardy. And there's been a lot of problems. Again, we go back to the imitation church. But here in our church, it's everybody. Not quite everybody, but most everybody that's doing a little bit. Some people are doing more than others, of course. Some people are making great sacrifices, but they're not out there talking about the great sacrifice they're making. You know what? They're invisible. And when it all comes together... People say, how in the world does this little church do what it does? Well, that's real easy. It's Jesus doing it, not individuals. And the imitation church is real, my friend. In fact, if the devil wants anything to happen at open door, he wants us to behave like an imitation church. Because once we do... We lose the power of the Holy Spirit. We lose the leadership of Christ. We lose everything that makes us who we are. And so we have to strive. That's what the letters to the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 are all about. It is warning the churches not to allow the devil to get in. In fact, there was one of those churches, Jezebel was the Sunday school teacher. She was instructing people. And, of course, it wasn't a real person named Jezebel. It was the teacher of false doctrine moving in. And lowering the standards and changing the differences and making everything look the same. So that's the way the devil works. I talk about those differences so much. Because we need to keep them foremost in our thoughts. Because everything we're conditioned to do in this world is to be normal. Do you know that's about the dumbest thing you can do? Because what is normal? We don't have time, but it's, it's the acceptable level of failure. That's what normal is. That's why a baseball player can fail two times out of three and still be one of the best baseball players in the baseball world of baseball. Because normal is failing four or time four or five times out of six, not just three. Listen, what we what we need to do is to allow Christ Ephesians chapter 4, to fit us together and to serve him together in our local church. Amen?
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would keep our eyes open to the differences between what is true and what is imitation. And Lord, that we would never be satisfied with an imitation church or an imitation relationship with you, an imitation service. An imitation is not the real thing. Help us to see the difference and to live for you as true servants of the true Lord Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. And as the piano plays, take just a moment.